Good morning, you guys. Great to be with you. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor, and our passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. If you want to jump on uh, your phone and go to the summitstl.info, there's a card there that says Sermon Notes, and it follows kind of along with the slides we'll be using and also has a scripture there as well. love for you guys to take advantage of that. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Awesome God, as we ask every week, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, have you ever been fishing before? This is my moment to tell you my fishing story, you guys. It's coming. So, I am... I will tell the truth. I have pictures. I have pictures to prove to you. So, I don't know anything about fishing. I don't know anything about fishing, but I love fishing. I love to go fishing as long as it's fishing on my terms. So this past summer, a really good friend of mine, I've known him for over 25 years, his name is Keith, we, uh, he was on sabbatical, so he wanted to do a little guy's trip. So we went up to Milwaukee and spent a few days in Milwaukee and had the opportunity to go one morning and go fishing on Lake Michigan for King Salmon. And so here's a picture of me on the fishing boat, and it was this incredibly beautiful and gorgeous day, and we had these two guys that were really helpful, and so we went out early. We had to be at the dock at 4.30 in the morning, and we go out early in the morning, and we head out there, and we were just in the right place at the right time, and we did fishing the way I like to do it. Sit down. I'm chilling on the boat. I'm hanging out. They're doing all the work. They're putting the lines out there. They're getting it all ready. They're knowing what lines to do, what kind of anchors to use, all of that kind of stuff, and then finally something catches, and then it's my turn. I get to go stand there and reel that fish in, and I get all the glory. We caught the max we could catch, five fish eat. We, we caught 10 fish. Several of them, most of them actually were uh, about 8 to 10 pounds, which is a pretty good-sized fish. We caught two 30-pound salmon. You can, you can applaud for that if you want. That is, that is a real fish. That is a real fish. Um, so, like I said, uh, to be candid, I like to do fishing on my terms. I like fishing to be the way I want to do fishing. I don't want to learn the tricks and strategies of fishing. I don't want to work at it. I don't want the lifestyle of it. I don't want to look like a fisherman in the way that I dress. But I want the glory. I want the glory. So there's an important question to ask. Maybe it's a little bold and blunt, but I would ask you this question. Am I a fisherman or am I a fraud? (laughs) 
Am I a fisherman or am I a fraud? The book of Mark starts with an incredible claim. Mark says, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I want you to enter in with me, if you would, for just a second here with the readers who are reading this book for the first time. Because Mark starts with this intense mic drop moment where if we picked up this book for the first time, we would say, oh wow, he's setting the stage for something pretty significant here. That, that this person, Jesus, who he's about to introduce, isn't just any person. He's the Messiah. He's actually the Son of God. And, and then what he does is Mark takes us to John the Baptist, who is an alarm clock for us. And, he, and he's saying, hey, wake up, wake up. There's someone coming whose shoes I am not fit to tie. This guy who's here, and, and he comes then on the scene, and John actually baptizes Jesus in this incredibly significant moment to declare to the world that this is your new representative. This is the one who is going to take the place for you, who's going to represent you before God. And we hear God say, in him I am well pleased. And then Mark tells us that Jesus immediately goes into the desert where he resists the temptations of the enemy, which remind us of the story of Eden where Adam and Eve did not resist the temptations of the enemy. But here Jesus is not just able to resist, but he completes the task of following what God has for him. And so we see here this ultimate representative that's established for us. And then what Mark does is he says, let me tell you who this man Jesus is and what he's about to do. And in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe the good news. And in essence, what Jesus is saying here is saying, this is what is about to happen. That, that I'm the new king, that I'm bringing a new rule and reign into this world, that, that I've come in to crush the kingdom of darkness, which has been doing its work for thousands of years, and here I am now on the scene to say things are about to change. That's why the time is fulfilled. This isn't just any time or any moment, it is the moment. This historic moment in time where everything is about to change from here moving forward. And I would invite you to join me in that mission, to, to be a part of what's happening here, which, is, which takes us right into what happens next for Mark. You can see what Mark's doing here and what he's thinking about the reader and how we're reading it. It's like, okay, well, if Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, then what would happen next? And what would seem to be the most wise thing is that Jesus would then go and he would say, come, follow me. Now, can we just be candid for a moment? <laughs> Don't we like following Jesus on our terms? Don't we like saying, hey, Jesus, that's cool what you're about, and I want the glory, but on my terms. We like to set the parameters for what following looks like. We like to not have to change anything about how we view things or think about things. We don't want to really learn anything new. We don't want to change patterns of our life. We want to believe the way we want to believe. I'll tell you a telltale way to discover if you're following Jesus on your own terms, and that is if you're not struggling with anything with God. You see, if if we make God in our image, then everything that we think, God is in agreement with. 
But if there are things about what God says and what Jesus invites us to and what he calls us to that we're struggling with that are hard for us, that, that we realize could mean changes in our lifestyle or what we believe or, or what we think about things, then, then probably we're, we're really wrestling with what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Today we're going to learn that following Jesus is not something that we get to define. In fact, we'll see here that the first four disciples show us something about following that in fact doesn't allow us to define the terms. We're going to discover here that Jesus actually, because he is the one who calls, because he is the one who initiates, it, it therefore allows him to say, this is what it means to follow me. He gets to define what it means. And this mission that he's inviting you and I to follow him on, it truly is the greatest mission. And we may not totally understand that. I mean, if we're the first time ever reading the book of Mark, we're, we need to still learn and come with that. What, what, how are we going to know the mission that Jesus is on and we'll get there? But Jesus is saying, come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So this morning what we're going to engage on is what the call is and then what it looks like to follow. What the call is and what it looks like to follow. So let's start with Jesus' call. We see in verse 16 and 19 of our passage this morning, passing alongside, Jesus saw them. And he sees Simon and Andrew first, and he calls them, and he says, follow me. And then you see in verse 19, he says even more explicitly that going a little further, he sees them again who were on their boat, and verse 20, he immediately calls them. This word, called. And it's important to ask this question, how are they called? It's actually a unique thing that's going on here. You see, in the, G, in the, in the Jewish culture, it was actually flip-flopped how it worked to follow a rabbi. So typically, how things worked in the Jewish culture was if you wanted to follow a rabbi, you would go up to that rabbi and say, can I follow you? And what Jesus is actually doing here is he's flipping the whole thing on its head, which he does in most things, and he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to call people to follow me. I'm going to be the one who initiates. And in essence, what he's saying is, I have an authority that goes beyond any other authority, any other rabbi that's ever walked the planet. I want you to think about it this way. I mean, we, we can understand what this means. For example, if I wanted to be a home run hitter, then I would go approach Albert Pujols, right? I would say to Albert Pujols, hey, I want to learn to hit home runs, and I would do whatever I could to get Albert to, to teach me how to hit home runs. It doesn't work the other way around, because if Albert were to call me right now and say, Brian, come follow me, and I will make you a home run hitter, then I would go. I mean, I would probably go right now. There's a, there's a pastor in town, a really great preacher that I had the privilege of having lunch with this summer and I've actually been emailing him weekly to ask him if he would just coach me in preaching and he, he is not responding. So, but imagine if he had called me and said, hey Brian, I'll, I will make you a good preacher then I, I would follow. And, and that, that's, that's what's happening here. And it's even more significant and important than this. 
that, that sometimes we have to dig in to understand what Mark is saying. But, but I would offer to you this. Here's what's happening here. That Jesus is offering them grace before they've earned it or deserve it. That the call to follow is always given by God and Jesus before it's earned or deserved. That, that, that God, when he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and he gave them all the laws, what came first? He saved them first. He gave them grace first. And, that, and then he says, and since I've shown you such grace, now follow me. And here we see the same pattern that Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's saying, calls them first. Come. I wonder if, if you can let that just rest on your heart just for a second, that the way things work in God's economy and his kingdom is the call is before the response, that the invitation. I mean, even as we were talking about this, right, like when you felt it, if, if Albert were to call me and say, hey, would you, we want to be a better home run hitter, or if this pastor would call me and say, let me teach you how to preach, that we were like, oh man, that'd be cool, that'd feel good. And now, imagine in all of our stuff and our struggles and our pain that the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, were to look at you and say, come. It changes things. Grace comes first. We respond to the call, which is the grace of God, which leads to the second thing, who is called? Who's called? And we see here that in this passage, when Mark is explaining what happens with Jesus, is that he actually sees the disciples. He's using that language on purpose, I think, that he sees Simon and Andrew. He sees James and John. And so then what he in that call, it's important to call, point out here who he's calling. He's, he's calling fishermen, so not the best and the brightest. And maybe we've heard this before, but, but isn't it significant here that as Jesus steps in and he, and he calls people to come to him, to follow him, to be a part of his mission, to join him in pushing back the kingdom of darkness, who, who does he call? He, he calls just normal, broken people. I think sometimes, for me, I struggle with that a little bit, I think in, our, in the way we understand Christianity, we kind of have a kickball mindset to it. You know, that when Jesus comes on the scene and he kind of scans the crowd, he's like, oh, I'll take you first, because I know you'll be able to take the kingdom really far. And, and, and we, think about, you know, we think about it like that, and we need to see Jesus again flipping it upside down on its head. He's like, no, 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 actually... It's the people who think they have it all together are going to struggle the most in my kingdom. Maybe you've heard what Jesus said, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That there's this principle that Jesus teaches us that, that what he wants to do is he's calling those who are a mess and broken, struggling, who are just doing normal everyday life, that he's calling those people to come follow him. Grace comes first. And then the third thing we see here is the terms of the call. It goes back to how powerful and significant grace is. In order to fully embrace 
his grace. We need to fully embrace then what it means to follow his terms for being a follower. Oz Guinness, a a writer and theologian and thinker, he talks about the call in a book called The Call. And he wrote this. It fleshes out this idea of the calling. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is lived out as a response to his grace and service. That if Jesus gives us the grace first, just like with the Israelites, he gave the grace first, he saved them, and then he gave them the law, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to call you first, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to make you mine. There's this powerful expression of the sovereignty of God, how it plays out in our lives and in our walk. And he calls us first. And then he says, because of my grace, now I get to define the terms. And because God's grace through Christ is so magnificent and so significant, what Os Guinness says is that so it's the call to us is so decisive that everything we are and everything we do and everything we have now becomes his. And that's what it means to follow. I mean, again, if Albert were to call me right now, what would I do? I would leave. You. I would say, I I have a trick in my sleeve. I I have one in my, like, if that were to happen, then I would just say, hey, let's just pray. And I would go back here and I'd tell Jonathan, hey, man, you need to come out here because I'm leaving. And then it would just end right there in that moment. And I'm being a little bit silly, but uh, if the God of the universe looked you in the eye and said, you're mine, I choose you. You might have some buts, right? Wait, wait, wait. But, but just, just let, just reflect, just let that hang in your soul and your heart just for a second. That the, the God who created all things, who created you in his image, he now looks upon you and says, I choose you. If we could really grasp the intensity of the grace that he's showing us in that moment, I believe we too would respond that way that we would leave, that we would go. Which leads us to the second part here, then what is following? What is following? If Jesus initiates, if Jesus shows us grace first, if he calls us and the call is to follow, well, what do we learn about following from this passage? What do we learn about following from this passage? Well, the first thing we, three things I'm gonna give you about how we follow. The first thing that we see is that we follow by leaving. We follow by leaving. So both Simon and Andrew left their nets, and then also James and John, they left their father. I want to redeem, if I can, quickly what leaving means. I think sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we do, for some reason, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we get this idea in our minds that what leaving means is that we're going to leave and become a missionary. Like, leaving is, okay, I'm, 
I live in O'Fallon, but God's going to send me to Africa. And frankly, that, that could be part of it. I don't want to diminish that. But I think what is happening here, what we're seeing with the disciples is what they're doing and what it means to follow Jesus is to leave the identities that define us and now submit to his new identity over us. So what that means is, is that it's, it's Christ's lordship versus the lordship of my vocation. So instead of my vocation having lordship over my life or my family having lordship over my life, what Jesus is saying is to follow me, you have to leave those identities that define you and now embrace my identity, which I'm giving to you, which I've given over you, called you into above and before all things. <clears throat> so instead of our comforts and our hobbies, we now look to Jesus as our priority. To follow Jesus and leave means to give him the priority over everything. Jesus is basically, what he's doing in this moment, he's, he's, he's calling the disciples and saying, I want priority over your career. I want priority over your family. I want priority over your comforts. And giving Jesus priority means that he's going to shape, change, and speak into, therefore, your vocation, your families, and your comforts. That, that's what it means to leave behind these things. It's to say, as these things have defined me, I'm leaving them now to allow Jesus to define and speak into and flesh everything out, that he's a part of every aspect of my life, and it's his identity that defines everything in me. And so a practical question maybe that we need to ask and ponder this morning is this. What do you need to leave to make Jesus the real king and follow him? What, what is it that you're holding on to? What identity is it that you think is too hard to give up? Because what Jesus is saying is because I've called you, I get to define the terms. And what that means is who I am and following me has to come above all other things. The second thing we see, it's this beautiful phrase here in the middle of this. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's kind of a weird phrase, actually, if you look at it. Jesus says, follow me. I mean, usually when we say this verse, we say, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We leave out the become aspect of it. But Jesus didn't give us grace to just appreciate it. He gave us grace to become it. Hear that again. Jesus didn't just give us the gospel. He didn't just come to save us. He didn't rise from the dead. He doesn't promise to come back just so we can appreciate it and go, oh, that's nice. He, he gave it to us so we would become it, that we would actually embody who he is and this identity that he so graciously called us into and given to us. He, he's saying, you're going to join me on mission, and guess what? You're part of the mission. Your transformation, your growth, your becoming a fisher of men. And so now let's take a moment here and flesh out what this means by being a fisher of men. How do we tease this out? We follow by fishing. It's interesting, not all of the disciples were fishermen. You thought about that? I mean, Matthew was a tax collector, but Jesus told him, you're going to be a fisher of men. That, that Yes, some of them, these four, these first four, were fishermen, but not all of them were fishermen. And we're all called, therefore, to be fishers of men. So what does that mean? Well, 
probably for some of us, we start to think that that means evangelism. Well, we have to go tell the story of Jesus, and we need to tell others about who he is and what it means to come follow him. And yes, that is absolutely part of it. But it's interesting, as I was reflecting on this in my own life, when I was in college, a massive, massive part of what I was taught was just that. That to be a fisher of men means to go out and to just lead people to Christ and tell them about who Jesus is. And that's what my call is. That's what was happening here. And, you know, it's interesting that Jesus' call to them was so much broader than that. I think it goes back to where we were in Mark 1.15. When Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That, that what Jesus was saying was, to be a fisher of men is to join me in ushering in and bringing about the kingdom of light and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And does that happen when we lead others to Christ? Absolutely. Does it happen too, though, when, when we work in our jobs with integrity? I would argue yes. That to be a fisher of men is to be somebody who's a disciple of Jesus first and foremost, and then what that does is it, fleshes, it teases itself out into everything that we think and understand, and as it does, his kingdom then grows and expands, and we get to join him like we talked about last week and being a part of the kingdom of light that now is taking back what is rightfully God's and reclaiming from the enemy what he has taken so that the kingdom would grow and expand until one time he comes back. The picture or metaphor that I like to use is the signpost. We talked about this this morning in our kingdom fluency class, that we are, become signposts to the kingdom of God, that that's what it means to be a fisher of men, that, that we're pointing others, that we're saying, hey, can I tell you about a better king to follow? Can I, can I show you and give you a taste of a future kingdom where there's no poverty and no pain and no sin and no condemnation? Can I... Can I how and what does it look like for us to point people to that? It's what we need to reflect on and think about. It's caring for the poor. It's doing our jobs with integrity. It's thinking about how we can tear off just a tiny corner of the darkness that exists in our corners of the world. And when we're doing that, we're being fishers of men. Discipleship is following, and that means all of life. And being a fisher of men means that we're drawing people out of the darkness into the kingdom of light. It's interesting that the way that the Israelites and the Jews understood water was they saw it as a dark and evil thing. And so it's, the picture here is purposeful that Jesus is saying, when you're fishing for people, you're going to draw them out of the dark. You're going to be, join me in pulling people out of the darkness and into the light. And, and yes, that for sure is evangelism, but what I would challenge us to, church, is to think about it so much more broadly than that. What does it look like for you day to day to be pushing back the darkness and joining God in being uh, someone who is saying, this kingdom is better? We have to wrestle with each other and think about those things. We have to push each other to ponder and think about what it means to join God in that. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom. And he says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
that the power of the kingdom of God is this, is that when we find the beauty of what it is that God called us first, and then he says, because I called you by grace, now here's what it means to follow me. It means to leave. It means to let me mature you and to become who I've made you. And then finally, and then thirdly, join me in being a fisher of men. So let me land the plane here back to my fishing story because it helps drill in the point here if I can. So have you ever had king salmon before? Well, I had not. So let me tell you about what happened. So we caught over 100 pounds of fish, and we went back to the place where all the fishermen were, and they were oogling after us, me and Keith. Man, that's quite a haul you guys got. We're like, yeah. They're like, what are you guys going to do with that? We're going to like, oh, I I guess we're going to take it home. And then this, this guy, one of the fishermen, Bob, he says to me, he says, do you know what you have? And we were like, no. He said, this is like the most expensive fish that you can, it's very expensive. And we're like, really? We're like, he's like, how much fish do you have? We're like, I think it's, we had like 50 pounds of fillets in the end here. And, and so we're like, 50, well, okay, what do you mean it's worth something? He's like, that's like $30 a pound. Yeah, for all you math people out there, we had $1,500 of fish in Ziploc bags. So you know what we did? We totally changed our plans for that night. We, we went to Walmart. We're like, okay, we're going to get a vacuum sealer. We're going to get a knife, and we're going to get uh, th- this uh, cutting board. So we went back to our hotel. You can go ahead. You can put the picture up. And we started filleting the fish in the bathtub. And this is what I brought home. I had to give some to Keith. He had to take some. So, you know what we did the next morning? So, we were supposed to go golfing. But we had $1,500 of fish. So, he, he wanted to take some home. So, we spent over an hour and a half on the internet looking at how can you fly fish from on an airplane on Southwest. We looked it all up. Then we went to Walmart. We bought this special container that you could put it in with special ice packs, all of these different things. And he got home, and he had fish. Heather was very appreciative. I came home, and Dondra was very appreciative. Now, what's the point? <laughs> Not just to tell a fishing story. It's when we understand the value of what has happened to us, it changes how we live. And it's easy for us to do this backwards. That what, when we think about this, we're like, I want to follow Jesus, so I'm going to do what it takes to be a follower. And what I want you to see is what Jesus is saying is, I've given you something of great worth and value. I've called you. So come follow me and be a fisher of men. The parable that he tells, one more time, 
Again, heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I mean, Keith and I just had $1,500 of fish and it changed everything about what we did for the next 48 hours. God of the universe is looking at you in the eye and he's saying, you're mine. I bought you with a price. Come follow me. Might we be a place where we would leave our old identities behind, where we would step into the presence of Jesus and be moved by what he has accomplished and done for us? Might we be a people who would become the kingdom of light and we would do that by fishing, by stepping out into this world to join him in bringing the kingdom of light. Might we respond to the call, to the grace that is fully ours by leaving, becoming, and fishing. Will you come? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the beautiful picture of Jesus calling the disciples. Uh, for those of us this morning, for all of us who want to follow on our own terms, uh, remind us of your grace. That even though so often we feel like frauds, that actually Jesus wasn't basing his call of us on our behavior. It was just his love for us. And might that be enough to transform us and change us today? To follow in such a way where we would leave. To follow in such a way where we would become. And to follow in such a way where we would join you in being fishers of men. And so we pray that all in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.